wasn't even a half a mile away. It was like a quarter of a mile, they said, from the Jagannath Temple, and it was right on Grand Road. But that wasn't their permanent residence at the time. It was somehow or other they were renting the house, etc. And um, <coughs> uh, when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj was born, he was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his throat. Now we say that, we've said it and heard it many times, right? But you can understand that normally that would be a very dangerous <laughs> way for a child to be born. It would be quite life-threatening to have that umbilical cord wrapped around his throat, you know? But somehow or other, it was a sign by the Lord that this, this personality, because he had been prayed for by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, at this time of, of uh, doing his government service and traveling around in India, he saw the degraded position of the people of the age. They had completely forgotten the goal of Vedic culture. And they were using different aspects of Vedic culture only to um, enhance their sense gratification, their stay in the material world, completely forgetting the, the, the whole goal of getting out of the material world, developing love for Krishna, and, and um, leaving this whole false identification and, and false sense of my own personal sense gratification behind and focusing on the, the, the service of the Lord. So he had prayed, Bhaktivinoda Thakur had prayed um, to, to Bhimala, who is situated, um, the goddess Bhimala, who is situated out some, I don't know exactly where, but near the Jagannath temple on the side there. And she, uh, he had prayed to her and the Lord to, to please send someone, please send someone that will help in the, mis in the mission. Please send a ray of Vishnu that will help in the mission of propagating your, reestablishing the Vaishnav tradition to its full glory. And so when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj was born with that umbilical cord, that was one of the first signs that oh, the Lord is answering my prayer. But the second sign appeared not long after that, when <clears throat> because they were staying in that um, house that was right on Grand Road, so obviously, when Lord Jagannath's Ratha Yatra um, came a few months later, actually Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj was five months old at that time. Five months later, it was time for the Ratha Yatra. And um, it normally takes a couple, a few hours for the Ratha Yatra procession, if there's not too many glitches in the, in, the, uh, in the procession. It takes a few hours. But somehow or other, right from the very beginning, that cart stopped. Right in the very beginning of the prayer, and it couldn't be moved. For three days, it couldn't be moved. They couldn't move it. So Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who was in a government service at that time, magistrate in the area, he, um, he arranged that there'd be immediately, he arranged for 24-hour kirtan for those, that whole time that the cart was there. So he arranged for that, that the kirtan never stopped, never stopped for those three days. And he also encouraged his wife, Bhagavati Devi, to bring the, the newborn baby, the five-month-old baby, onto the cart. So because of her position and everything, she was allowed to um, uh, climb onto the cart. And as soon as his little baby, how old is your baby? They're not even five months, right? How many? Oh, six weeks. Oh, six weeks. Oh, anyway, I try to imagine a, a size, so a little bigger than that. I mean, so it's five months. But 
uh, maybe like Gopal's son, but he's probably a year. But anyway, okay. So a small little baby, as soon as he got onto the cart and saw Lord Jagannath, he reached out his hands. He reached out his hands as if he wanted to touch Lord Jagannath's feet. And in reciprocation, Lord Jagannath's garland dropped. But it didn't just drop, it dropped and encircled the little baby. So that, uh, Bhakti Vinod Thakur was very, very convinced that now this is that special child, that ray of Vishnu that, that we've been praying for to help um, reestablish Vaishnava Dharma to its glory. And um, sure enough, true to, true to um, the prediction, Srila Bhakti Vinod Srila, sorry, Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, he was very, even at a young age, he was very fixed, very sober, and extremely intelligent also. But even before that manifested too, too much, he was, um, he had very little tolerance for anything that wasn't in line with pure devotional service. So in the process of, 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 of yoga, there's Kama yoga, there's Jnana yoga, there's so many different types of yoga, but but Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Maharaj studied even at a young age. By the time he was seven, by the time he was seven, he knew all the verses in the Bhagavad Gita. And not only did he know them, but he could explain them also. So he had full on, he had great understanding of the scriptures. So he would, um, and he would study. He was very attracted to studying Srila Bhaktisiddhanta, I'm sorry, Bhaktivinoda's uh, writings. And he, so he took a lot of um, instruction from Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, even at a young age. And he preferred his books to his school books. So sometimes later on, when he was supposedly studying, when he was entering you know, higher levels, like it might have been college, he would come home and have his school books on his desk. And he looked like he was studying his school books. But in, in his desk drawer, he had a couple of copies of um, uh, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur's writings and other, other writings of the past, the Charyas, and he would be studying them instead. He would be reading them instead. So anyway, um, going back a little bit. When he was young, as a young, young boy growing up, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur made chanting um, Hare Krishna, chanting Japa, compulsory for him. So even he started at a young age chanting japa. Bhakti Vinod Thakur gave him some japa beads and um, uh, uh, would be chanting. And I always have a hard time reading my notes and speaking at the same time, so I just glanced down and saw that there was one thing that I forgot to say about um, when Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, or Bhimala Prashad, as he was known in that young age, when Bhimala Prashad was um, on the cart for Ratiyatra uh, at, at Lord Jagannath's feet, he all, they also immediately did his grain ceremony there. And the grains that they took were from the Mahaprasad and from Lord Jagannath, and then they gave them to Bhimala Prashad. And then they had the different piles of, <coughs> of things to see what his inclination would be whether it would be a pie, they had some money there, they had some grains there, and they had a Bhagavatam. And of course, the baby boy just immediately, no hesitation, went over and embraced the Bhagavatam. Again, further indicating his inclination to devotional scriptures. So, um, 
as he grew up and, and Bhakti Vinod had him chanting rounds regularly as a young boy, he, Bhakti Vinod at one point was um, excavating some land because he was about to build um, a building, the, actually the Bhakti Bhavan, um, where, he lived, where they lived in Calcutta. And when they were preparing the, 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 the site there, they unearthed a Kurma deity. And at that time, the standard was that um, uh, those, any deities that are found in, in the earth, they should be delivered to the Brahmins, you know, to the Brahmins to be worshipped. So Srila Bhakti Vinod took that Kurma deity and gave it to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, and he worshipped that deity through his whole life. Um, and also at another, another interesting point is that at a young age also in that time, Bhimala Prashad composed two verses in Sanskrit because he immediately was attracted to studying Sanskrit and, and he did that quite regularly. He had Sanskrit tutors also. And he um, composed two verses glorifying Lord Chaitanya's lotus feet. Um, and the 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 foot impressions, glorifying the foot impressions that Lord Chaitanya had made inside the Jagannath temple where the stone had melted where his foot stand and he, he was saying um, the gist of it was that the Lord Chaitanya's heart was tender by um, by because he distributed love for Krishna and 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 because of that tender um, feeling for distributing for love of Krishna and distributing love of Krishna, even his feet were tender. And, um, and he, because Lord Chaitanya was so distressed on seeing others' unhappiness that even the stones, that, that distress heated up his body so much that he, even the stones melted underneath his feet. That was what he encapsulated in those verses. So he exhibited throughout his youth and his whole life <laughs> an exceptional, his exceptional memory and his comprehension for anything that he read. Anything that he read, even once, he could quote it verbatim and remember it. Even there was an incident of, uh, at, at, the far, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, when he was preparing to leave his body, there was, he came up with remembering something that he read in his youth and quoted it verbatim, even at that time, so many years later. He, the, he got the um, epithet of being like a living encyclopedia. So, um, again, preteen, in his preteen years, once there was a well-reputed Babaji in the area that had come by and everyone was offering their respects and prayers to him, etc., etc., glorifying him. But young little Bhimala Prashad didn't offer his obeisances to him. And he noticed, the Babaji noticed, so he said something to Bhaktivinoda Thakur to correct him, you know, to teach the child the proper etiquette. <laughs> and Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, Oh, he doesn't offer his respects to Sahajiyas. <laughs> So in that same line of straight talkers, Srila Bhakti, uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, he was a straight talker. He never minced words. And he was often criticized for that in his later years. He was often criticized for that. If, you know, if you've heard of him 
being called the lion guru. You know, he was ferocious like a lion. He was firm and fixed like a lion. And he would just speak the truth based on the scriptures. And so even he would be criticized. If he would just be a little more gentle, if he would just be a little more open, then more people would come to the, to, to the pr process of bhakti. But Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, he would say, but our position is uncompromising. If people are in, in, interested in sense gratification or they're interested in bhakti in the name of sense gratification, then they should be, then they need to be woken up. They need to be woken up that one has to develop a complete distaste for this material world in order to qualify, in order to, to reawaken that love for Krishna. In fact, I was just reading on the calendar behind Srila Prabhupada, on that Srila Prabhupada's calendar, he has a, a quote very similar to that today, on this day, that Srila Prabhupada says, one has to be disgusted with this material life in order to develop the necessary determination that one needs to uh, develop pure love of God. So Srila um, Shobhimala Prashad, he, would, he was like that even at a young age, very straightforward. Um, oh, and so he was born in 1874, and by 1885, a little bit later, the Bhimala Prashad accompanied his father and his brother to a pilgrimage to various holy sites in, in, in Bengal. And they, they arrived late in the night at one particular place in Kulinagram. And, they, and because they arrived late in the night, they were invited to stay inside that temple. So they stayed inside a temple in Kulinagram. And in the morning, then they went, went out, about, out and about in the area. And the, and the people, the villagers were very happy to see them. And they asked them, where did you stay? And so we stayed in the temple. And they said, that temple? That temple is ghostly haunted. Weren't you bothered by a ghost? And Srila Bhakti Vinod, he said, oh, yes, a ghost came, but we just chanted and later he left. And so the people were very curious because that temple had been haunted for quite some time and no one could even go there. No one even would go, would go there or could go there. And so they asked Srila Bhakti Vinod about that pujari because they, they think it was, they thought it was the, the former Pujari in the temple. But how is it that he took birth as a ghost? He, he, he had chanted Hare Krishna, but how is it that he took birth as a ghost? And Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he said, he must not have chanted Sudanam. He, he must have just chanted, you know, <coughs> offensively the holy name and not really tasted, the, not really even touched the, uh, he must have just chanted on Namaparad level and not really touched the um, Sudanam platform of pure chanting. And then Bhakti Vinod inquired about the character of that particular um, Brahmin. And they said he had a very bad character. He, he um, you know, did sinful things and etc., etc. But he was always chanting Hare Krishna. And, uh, and so they were saying, but can somebody like that ever be delivered? And, and, and 
uh, Bhakti Vinod answered very straightforwardly. They, he said they can be delivered if they come in touch with a with a extremely pure, pure, elevated Paramahamsa. Because you can only be delivered if you um, meet somebody on that level. You know, after you've offended the holy name for so long, and so then the people can understand that. Yes, Bhakti Vinod himself was on that level because no one else could have stayed there and had that, um, uh, and have the ghost leave by their presence. So um, that was a little incident that even Bhimala Prashad was a, um, a, a surprised by. In um, he had. As, as his love for debating was something that he exhibited even as a young child. So even, even as a, a child, as when he's reading and learning various subjects, not only just philosophical points, but anything, he would just love to debate. So he was, had a real reputation as a, a very feisty debater. And um, in, Nine, 1892, that's when he entered college. He entered Sanskrit, Sanskrit college. Bhakti, Srila Bhaktivinoda was very interested in giving him a, a, a high quality education so that he would get um, uh, acquainted with Western philosophy and different cultures and so that he'd be able to talk to them and talk with them and understand their points and their habits and everything. So he enrolled in the Sanskrit College in Calcutta in 1892. And more, more than, in, more, he was more, Maharaj was more interested in, in, in philosophical study than in just in the grammar of Sanskrit and everything. But he, um, he would uh, <coughs> exhibit his, uh, um, debating attitude throughout his schooling. Even he had one um, Christian uh, professor at that time who one time during their classroom break he would ask the students what they, different passages from the Bible and what they thought about them knowing well that most of the students weren't particularly interested in studying the Bible but he would ask them questions like that. So when he asked um, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta or something about the question from the Bible, he would say, he said right straight forward to him, even, you know, said, we're not interested in hearing about these topics because the Lord's, the Lord, he said, the Christian prayer, give us now, give us our, oh my Lord, give us our daily bread, you know. Um, he said, we're not interested in asking the Lord to serve us, but we're interested in developing a service attitude towards the Lord. So therefore, we don't consider these quotes very um, elevated. And he was saying that as a student, he was saying that to the professor there. And so he had, so <laughs> he, he got a little bit in trouble there, you know? But actually at a certain point, at a certain point, he had, a, he had a, a disagreement with the principal of the college. And of course, he just explained very 
um, straightforwardly, his difference of opinion and different, different understanding. And, and therefore, at that particular point, he decided to um, leave college. And, and in that society, it was considered, at that time, culturally, it was considered a big, you know, no one ever did that. No one ever left college, you know, you know, at that time, because it was such a emphasis on higher education and learning and degrees and accumulating those things. So, but Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj's take on it was a little different. He said, no, this was very good. This whole incident was very good because had I stayed in college and graduated with degrees and everything, then I would be impelled or compelled. I would be compelled to enter householder life, get a job, and maintain a family like that. But this has changed the course of my life because now I'm not, so now who's gonna want to, to marry their daughter to an uneducated fool? So he took it like that. So um, uh, another point, one other point, and then I'll you know, try to stop. <laughs> Another point is that he was particularly, as, as we have heard many times in different ways, he was particularly interested in the science of, of Jyoti. And, but <clears throat> what I was, what for me, a new understanding of that interest came through reading Srila uh, Bhaktivedanta Maharaj's book. Because he said he was interested in reestablishing the Vedic concept of Jyoti because apparently there had been some gradual, as um, time went by, there was gradual deviations from the original mathematical calculations of the Jyoti Shastra to incorporate the Western conception of astronomy. And so they had made different calculations. I'm only repeating the words, I have no much, not much, <laughs> understanding of the concept but they were only they were they were their calculations for example in the vedic system they calculate when's an auspicious time for marriage when's an auspicious time for this ceremony or that ceremony that and they would do the calculations based on the western conception of astronomy and not astrology and not the, the vedic so he was Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj as the that reformer in him that reformer in him was trying to bring um, that concept back into line because he had studied all of these very, um, very complicated mathematical equations and could see how, according to Western astrology, that the calculation would be for a different time and it wouldn't be the auspicious time. So even, even his interest in astrology was for reforming it to its original path and conforming with the Vedic principles. So I'm supposed to go up to the part where Srila Bhakti Maharaj takes sannyas, but that's a long way away still. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to skip ahead then. Sorry. Um, in his course of Okay, so after he left college, I'll do it really quickly. After he left college, he, he took a, he got some moderate uh, employment or mod, got moderate income from being employed by the king by a king in another another province. 
and he um, would do some uh, editing for the king, and, and he would also teach the, the, the princes, the princes of the king, the sons of the king. And he um, kept that for some time, like about five years he kept that uh, employment. And then at a certain point he also left that employment, and then he began focusing 100% on, on preaching. And when he left his employment with the king, the, king's, the king um, allotted him full pension, which he accepted only for like two years. And then after that, he, he wouldn't even accept the pension. And so the kings, they um, donated their, that money to the, the Chaitanya Mat, to some of his temples instead. So um, in his preaching work, he met with lots of opposition, right? When we, we can understand the time and the circumstances. Lots of opposition of, from the um, pundits and Goswamis in the time and Babaji's and Sahaji's and whatever, because Srila Bhakti Siddhantanaraj was speaking very forcefully, uncompromising bhakti. And so, even met with death threats and oppositions like that. So at a certain point, he got a little discouraged. He got a little discouraged and thought, uh, and, and pulled back a little bit and stopped speaking so publicly and so forcefully. But there's a really nice incident that happened there, so one at that time to inspire him to go on. So at, at a certain point, let me see if I can find it. Uh, anyway, anyway, at a certain point, he got a little discouraged, and he um, decided not to speak so much. But one day, lo and behold, he was sitting there, and a verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita blew like a little piece of paper with a verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita blew in front of him. And he picked it up, and it was from the, um, uh, when Lord Chaitanya speaks to Sanatan Goswami, and he, and he, um, and he, uh, in that, it's in the Madhya of, um, of Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Lord Chaitanya is instructing Sanatan Goswami to speak on the glories of Krishna, you know, chant the holy name, rediscover the, the lost places of pilgrimage, and um, glorify pure devotional service. So he felt a little, it was a special, just like Mukhi when she was, Prabhu, when she was reading about how Krishna uh, does amazing things. So he does it every day, he does it all the time, especially for his, his devotees when they're a little, become a little bewildered. So he gave him that encouragement. And then not long after that, there was one more piece of encouragement he got from the Lord. He, got a, he had a dream. He had a dream, and let me see if I can get this part. Hopefully I have that part. Okay, oh here's, okay, here I'm gonna, here I'm gonna just read this whole thing, okay? This is now back to the verse blowing before him. Then one day a gust of wind blew before him an extract from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Lord Chaitanya instructed Sanatha Goswami to compose transcendental literature, renovate forgotten holy places, institute service to Lord Krishna, and propagate Bhakti Ras taking this as a divine indication, but feeling depressed and incapable, 
Siddhanta Saraswati pondered, I have no public support, nor wealth, learning, nor the intelligence required to waken the interest in the populace. How can I convey to this inhospital world the pure teachings of Lord Chaitanya and establish Manobhishta of my gurus? Shortly thereafter, at the yoga pit, in a dreamlike revelation, he saw approaching him from the east the Panchatattva, the six Goswamis of Vrindavan, Srila Jagannath Das Babaji Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Srila Gaur Kishore Das Babaji Maharaj, and numerous other great devotees of Lord Chaitanya. They told him, Saraswati, why are you worrying? Begin the task of establishing Sudha Bhakti. Distribute Gauravani universally. Expand service to the Gauranam, Gauradam, and Gaurakam. In other words, to the holy name, to the, to the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya, and Lord Chaitanya's desires. With unbreached enthusiasm, broadcast Bhakti Siddhanta. We are, are eternally with you, ready to help. The support of unlimited people, immeasurable opulence, and boundless scholarship awaits the blessings to serve your mission. All will manifest when required. Come forward with full strength to distribute the message of Mahaprabhu's Prema Dharma throughout the globe. No worldly hindrance or menace will be able to obstruct this undertaking of yours. We are forever with you. Hare Krishna. Hare Rana. So, and this is the last part of this section. Next morning, with a few young disciples who had gathered around him and saw for the first time in many days his face refulgent in happiness, he related to them the vision he had seen. Before long, he assumed working on Anuriti, that was a um, translation of, of one of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's books that he was doing, that he had stopped temporarily. And henceforward, his avidity for preaching was fully rekindled and unretractable. So, Hare Krishna, that's a very brief. There's so, there's so much information in this book. I mean, it's a little brief discussion up to the point where he takes on yet. And it took more than 15 minutes. What a surprise. Hare Krishna. Okay. Hare Krishna, to be continued, and we are now have plenty of time to do our little verse. We're on uh, fifth chapter of the third canto, Vigdura talks with Maitreya, it's towards the end of the chapter, we're on text 43, right? No, which one? Five, right? Five, yeah. As usual, the mark is in the wrong place, 45. Okay, thanks. <sighs> Want to try to chant the verse together just for the time's sake? Why not, right? Sorry. Atona pasyanchu gaya nunam yete padanya savilasalaksha. Sorry. And um, I'm just going to go to the translation, sorry. And just again to focus in, this is, these are the demigods praying at the um, uh, time of creation. Uh, they're 
glorifying the Lord's Lord's lotus feet, etc., etc. So here, here they say, O great supreme Lord, offensive persons whose internal vision has been too affected by external materialistic activities cannot see your lotus feet, but they are seen by your pure devotees whose one and only aim is to transcendentally enjoy your activities. So just a quick little reference. I'm going to read from 41, the verse. The lotus feet of the Lord are by themselves the shelter of all places of pilgrimage. The clear-minded sages carried by the wings of the Vedas always search after the nest of your lotus-like face. Some of them surrender to your lotus feet every step by taking shelter of the best of the rivers, the Ganges, which can deliver one from all sinful reactions. O Lord, you assume incarnations for the creation, maintenance, and dis dissolution of the cosmic manifestation, and therefore we all take shelter of your lotus feet, because they always award remembrance and courage to your devotees. O Lord, persons who are entangled by undesirable eagerness for the temporary body and kinsmen, who are bound with thoughts of mind and eye, are unable to see your lotus feet, although your lotus feet are sitting within their own bodies, but let us take shelter of your lotus feet. And today, O great Supreme Lord, offensive persons whose internal vision has been too affected by external materialistic activities cannot see your lotus feet, but they are seen by your pure devotees whose one and only aim is to transcendentally enjoy your activities. Srila Prabhupada's purport. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita 18.61, the Lord is situated in everyone's heart. It is natural that one should be able to see the Lord at least within himself. But that is not possible for those whose internal vision has been covered by external activities. Anyway, in relation to glorifying Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, this is exactly what he would um, speak about. He was uncompromising in bringing people to this point that external activities no matter what they do if they're tinged with the desire or motivated by the desire for personal sense gratification will not bring about the, that that pure vision of the lord in the heart or the happiness that you're seeking for even if they are so-called mm, uh, vedic Injunctions. If you're doing your or you're doing your Vedic rituals with the purpose of your own personal sense gratification, elevation to heavenly planets, and higher birth, etc., etc., that's not going to bring about your happiness because happiness doesn't come in the material. Okay, sorry. The pure soul, which is symptomized by consciousness, can be easily perceived even by a common man because consciousness is spread all over the body. The yoga system is recommended in the Bhagavad. The yoga system, as recommended in Bhagavad Gita, is to concentrate the mental activities internally, and thus see the lotus feet of the Lord within oneself. But there are many so-called yogis who have no concern with the Lord, but are only concerned with consciousness, which they accept as the final realization. Such realization of consciousness is taught by is taught is taught by Bhagavad Gita within only a few minutes, whereas the so-called yogis take continuous years to realize it because of their offenses at the lotus feet of the Lord. 
The greatest offense is to deny the existence of the Lord as separate from the individual souls, or to accept the Lord and the individual soul as one and the same. The impersonalists misinterpret the theory, theory of reflection, and thus they wrongly accept the individual consciousness as the supreme consciousness. So this is one of the warnings that, Christ, that, that we gather from our study in the Bhagavad Gita when Krishna is explaining the different rungs on the yoga ladder, the different levels of yoga, yogic realizations that are there. That yes, there, there is a, a bona fide process of making advancement in a gradual way that will elevate one's consciousness to gradually see beyond the body, to see the super-soul within the heart. But many of the mm, practitioners of those different types of yoga think that that level that they reach through that rung of the yoga ladder is the highest level, when actually it's just a step towards perfection. And often, as Prabhupada describes the, in his words, the last snare of maya is when a yogi actually comes to the point where actually he can see the Supreme Lord within his heart, which one can imagine what an elevated state that is. But they unfortunately misunderstand that vision of the Supreme Lord to be themselves. And they think that they are God. So that leads to a whole another sojourn. <laughs> the theory of reflection can be, of the Supreme Lord can be clearly understood without difficulty by any sincere common man. When there is a reflection of the sky on the water, both the sky and the stars are seen within the water. But it is understood that the sky and the stars are not to be accepted on the same level. The stars are part of the sky, and therefore they cannot be equal to the whole. The sky is the whole, and the stars are part. They cannot be one and the same. Transcendentalists who do not accept the supreme consciousness as separate from the individual consciousness are as offensive as the materialists who deny even the existence of the Lord. Such offenders cannot actually see the lotus feet of the Lord within themselves, nor are they even able to see the devotees of the Lord. They can't recognize someone who's a devotee. The devotees of the Lord are so kind that they roam to all places, they roam all to all places to enlighten people in God consciousness. The offenders, however, lose the chance to receive the Lord's devotees, although the offenseless common man is at once delivered by the devotees, influenced by the devotees' presence. So Sometimes it gets hard to follow when it's a, a longer purport. So here, what Prabhupada's saying is, the devotees, out of their desire to, to preach, again, taking the example today, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Maharaj, he went and traveled all throughout India in many places and sent his disciples in many places also, even, even, to, the, even to London, even to Europe. And, <clears throat> but only with the point, only with the intention of preaching about the pure holy name and the difference between the Lord and the living entity. And people who are 
have, have no pious credits, who have a, a stockpile of offenses, they can't take advantage of the association of a pure devotee like that. But Prabhupada's pointing out, but someone who, someone, the, a common person who doesn't have a stockpile of offensive offenses can actually take advantage. And why is that so important? Why is it so important to take advantage of, some, of, of the pure devotees association? Because we can only receive bhakti from somebody who has bhakti. Bhakti isn't gained through ritualistic performances by giving in charity, by this, by that, by being a good person. They, that might be, those activities might be helpful, but they don't produce bhakti in and of themselves. Bhakti is only given or, or received from someone who, ha, ha, someone who has bhakti can, can, can distribute bhakti. So therefore, people who can't take advantage of the association of a, of a, of a bhakti-given person cannot attain it in any other way. Okay, so um, in this connection, there is an interesting story of a hunter in Devarshi Narda. A hunter in the forest, although a great sinner, was not an intentional offender. He was at once influenced by the presence of Narda, and he agreed to take to the path of devotion, leaving aside his hearth and home. So that phrase, intentional offender, Srila Prabhupada would also would often state that, state that in different ways. Said the common people, they're 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 innocent, they're misled, but they're innocently, you know, they're innocently um, deceived by opposing philosophy or materialistic influence. But someone who's simple like that, then they just need to hear. And that's why Srila Prabhupada and the whole parampara would stress somehow or other, try to um, give out or preach or distribute Krishna consciousness to the mass of people in whatever form that's possible. Just like sometimes it's um, primary, the primary focus is uh, hearing the holy name. People hear the sankirtan and they hear the chanting and they get um, bhakti credits. Or they might get an opportunity to take prasadam and they'll get bhakti credits. And then when they get an opportunity to hear or read or whatever, the philosophy through the parampara, through Srila Prabhupada, then that, that credit that's been accumulated gradually will fructify and they'll be able to take to the path. But, Prabhupada continues to say, but offenders like Nalakuvara and Manigriva, even though living amongst the demigods, had to undergo punishment of becoming trees in their next life, although by the grace of the devotee, they were later delivered by the Lord. Offenders have to wait until they receive the mercy of devotees and then they can become eligible to see the lotus feet of the Lord within themselves. So that's also a very interesting and important philosophical point. Someone who's offensive and towards the Lord and his devotees or whatever, it's not that they're um, eternally condemned, you know, no matter what, how, how grievous or how you know, sinful their lives are. They're not eternally condemned, but when their offenses are when they had sufficient time to suffer through different offenses, when their offenses are mitigated, at that time, um, 
is mitigated, then they can take up the path of bhakti. And or, even in an offensive state, if they get that injection from the, the, the Paramahamsa, then they can take it up. Okay, continue, sorry. Yeah. But due to their offenses and their extreme materialism, they cannot even see the devotees of the Lord. Engaged in external activities, they kill the internal vision. <clears throat> what verse does that remind you of? Killing the internal vision. Any verses come to mind? You have to mumble it a little louder. Killer of the soul, exactly. The killer of the soul, whoever he may be, whoever he may be, must enter the darkest region of ignorance. But how do you kill the soul? You kill that vision. You kill it. the the vision is uh, the of being able to see the Lord. That's what's called. The Lord's devotees, however, do not mind the offenses of the foolish in their many gross and subtle bodily endeavors. The Lord's devotees continue to bestow the blessings of devotion upon all such offenders without hesitation. That is the nature of devotees. Hare Krishna. We made it. Sorry for that little, but anyway. Um, comments? Yes. Or additions? Or corrections? And corrections. Nice class. This was in regard to uh, Prashadam. Bhakti Siddhanta said, it's from that book. We have to force feed the prasadam to persons who are full of anartas. That reminds me of Prabhupada. Eat more, eat more, make you pot a hole, but eat, fill up to the neck. So we have to force feed prasadam to persons full of anartas. Those who have no interest in spiritual life should be given prasad. By taking prasad, they will gradually attain panishta adhikara. When in the presence of persons who have no inclination for bhakti, a devotee should, while chanting mantras, offer some food to Krishna and then give them the prasadam. Srila Bhakti Sanatana explained that the vision of a Uttama Adhikari sees the entire world as prasad. So there are no dietary restrictions. <laughs> the pure devotees prefer to take Mahaprasad when properly offered to Krishna. The service of cooking is meant for Sri Krishna and his devotees, like the Vraj Gopis who uttered Deham Jusham. And cooking should be done as far as possible by the Dikshita or inasmuch as it forms part of Archana. A devotee is the co-sharer of Krishna's remnants. Hang in there, hang in there. Like the he said that the Uttamati cars is the entire world is prasadam, right? Yeah. So that means we can offer up the supermarket. We can what? You said... <laughs> we can offer up the supermarket. You can. You're, that, that's, your, that's your thing. But Krishna's only going to eat what, what's acceptable there. But you know, this, this reminded me when, when um, Divyanga was reading... Sorry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> another story that was in here one time when Bhakti Satanta Maharaj was a young man. He was crossing a river in a ferry with another, with another gentleman who was, who had met um, Gorky Shordas Babaji and, and now he's meeting his disciple Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj. 
And so he noted, he, he, he noted that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj's mood in preaching was way different than Gorkishore. Gorkishore, as the um, Bhajananandi, he, he removed himself from society, wouldn't deal with anybody, and anybody who came to bother him, he spoke very um, sternly to them, to him. And so um, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj immediately explained, he said, no, our mood is exactly the same. Our mood is exactly the same. And he, because they were on the boat, so he pointed to the motor of the boat. He said, my Guru Maharaj is like the battery. And that battery supplies the energy to all the moving parts of this boat, and therefore we can cross the ocean. So my Guru Maharaj's sole intention was uh, chanting the holy name purely and spreading uh, it around like that, in that manner. And he said, and he's the source of my inspiration. So everything that I do is because of his desire, and therefore it's the same it's exactly the same. I was thinking that in the, in the Parampara when you were saying how Srila Prabhupada would say, oh yeah, feed them up to their neck. Because their, their whole, they have different styles of executing the order or following, but it's all very fixed on expressing pure devotional service to the mm, finest degree. Sorry, I got anything. Oh, thank you. You gave a nice presentation about Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati um, did you say that he was born in 47, 1847, and he was in college in, at 74? Oh, that was, therefore, 92 he was in college. Yeah. Ah, okay, got it. I was going to, 40 years old? Okay. Uh, another thing, can you explain why he prayed to Bhimala Devi? Who was Bhimala Devi? Uh, ask Chaturatma tomorrow, okay? Oh, yeah. Yoga Maya. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. He said she's on the western gate of the Jagannath Temple and she's still there. Actually, <coughs> at a certain point, um, Bhaktivikash Maharaj lists all the names of all the sons and they all had Prashad names. The, the first son's name was Ananda Prashad. Ananda. And, huh? Ananda. Anyway, they all had different names of, like that. So, But just another little, sometimes I, I miss big philosophical conceptions and I just get little pieces of information. So one little piece of information that I gathered from, that is here in this book is that Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur actually had two wives. His first wife, <coughs> he was married at eight, he was married at 11, and his first wife was five years old. And five years later, she gave birth to Umbin, the, 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 that first son. <clears throat> and um, but ten months after the birth, she she left her body, and then he married very quickly his second wife, um, Bhagavati Devi. And then they had thirteen children all together. Amazing. Okay, sorry. Shila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasakti Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai, Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shila Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Gopravinandi, Hari 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 H